John chapter 5. Let's go to John chapter 5. We're going to pick up in John chapter 5 this morning. We know that Jesus' miracles were beneficial to the recipients who received them. Lives were changed. Transformation took place. Healing took place. But these miracles also prove the identity of Jesus. And in John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who had struggled for 38 years But more than that, this miracle actually launched into a more aggressive opposition from the religious leaders in that Jewish community. Let's pick up our journey this morning in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible tells us that Jesus went back to Jerusalem. This was one of their festival times, even though the festival is not specifically named. We know that Jesus was drawn back to Jerusalem. If you've studied through John with me, you know that that Jesus started the first miracle in John 2 in Cana of Galilee, the region of Galilee and the place of Cana, and then he went to Jerusalem, and then he went to the hills of Judea, and then he came back to the region of Galilee, did another miracle in Cana for a man whose son was dying in Capernaum, and now he's back in Jerusalem. So at this point, Jesus has kind of made a full circle, and now he's back in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the sheep gate that's named in John chapter 5, was a pool that's surrounded by five covered porches or colonnades. And in Bible times, Jerusalem, like many other cities, had these walls around the city for protection from harm and protection from other armies. And the sheep gate was just west. If you were looking at a picture, I'll try to do it backwards for you guys. If you were looking at a picture of Jerusalem, the temple located here, that sheep gate would have been up above it, kind of that northeast corner of the city. There was a small opening in the city wall. And most people believe that entrance was for sheep being led in to be sacrificed in the temple. It's an interesting note there. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Most people believe that was an entrance for sheep being led to be sacrificed in the temple. There were pools there in this area under these covered porches. Uh, This one in particular was named Bethesda, and if you study the literal translation, it means house of mercy or house of kindness. There were two pools, likely side by side, quite large, kind of like football fields, and very deep. And they were surrounded by four porches with columns and a roof, and then a fifth down the middle, perhaps separating the genders as they were there. Now, archaeologists have actually discovered a pool in this location, and ancient scrolls of history actually attest to the name of this area. So, this is documented throughout history. Now, it's interesting to note that in your copy of Scripture today, verse 4 may not seem to be there. Or for some of you, it may be there and there's a note with it. Some translations or some manuscripts note that there was an angel of God who would come and stir the waters there, and the first one who could get into the pool would be healed. Now, again, let me just make a note that only a portion of manuscripts actually include this verse. Other notes have explained that the bubbling of the water that took place in this pool could have been tied to a natural spring, so it was spring-fed perhaps, and the nearest spring bubbling, pushing into there was was causing it to bubble up. Perhaps this was a superstition among people as well, that when it bubbled, the first one in would be healed, receiving some medicinal benefit. 
We know something was happening because in verse 7, it refers back to the reality that at some point these waters were stirred. Here's the point of the passage. The point of what's happening here is not to believe in the waters being stirred, but to believe in the miracle-working Messiah. Now, it's interesting to note that when Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, His travels did not include hobnobbing with the rich and famous. Jesus just didn't dine with the highest class of society. Jesus visited and associated with people that the elite of the society would have made a great effort to avoid. Maybe they were considered that they would become ritually unclean. Maybe they didn't want to interact with these people because they knew they would ask them for money and they didn't want to give money to the poor because ultimately these who were disabled, who were in this area, were unable to work and they were dependent on other people to provide for them. These disabled people who were here were outcasts of society, right, wrong, or indifferent. They were isolated, and no doubt they felt alone and hopeless. So let me summarize it for you. Jesus was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate through which sheep were led through to be sacrificed in the temple. I think it's interesting that the theme is sheep being sacrificed in the temple. Bethesda was known as the house of mercy. And in this instance, and in his overall mission, what did Jesus come to do but to pour out his mercy on other people? And Jesus had compassion for those who were marginalized. When Jesus came to this area, he specifically interacted with a man who had been disabled for 38 years. The Bible says that Jesus saw this man, meaning that he was aware of his condition and paid special attention to him, and that he learned about this man. It doesn't mean learned in the sense of what we think, where someone teaches or tells us about a specific subject. The indication of the original language here is that Jesus had supernatural knowledge, what we would commonly call omniscience, to know everything that was going on in this man's life. We don't know this man's age. We do know that 38 years is a long time to battle with a disability that affects everyday life. We know that multiple people were in this area, so we might even ponder, why this man? Why did Jesus choose this one individual out of so many who were there? Perhaps it was the length of disability, the 38 years that he'd suffered, and Jesus knew how long he'd suffered, and maybe even knew that by doing a miracle of power in this man's life, it would again point to just how great Jesus was and is. And we can imagine to some degree, especially if you've suffered with something for a long time, you can imagine that if you suffer with it long enough, if you deal with something long enough, it just becomes the normal. It just becomes what you're accustomed to. I mean, think about this man in particular. His condition had not changed for 38 years. It would be hard in our humanness to think that anything was all of a sudden going to change now. We can empathize. I certainly can in, in my role as pastoring people. I can empathize with people who have struggled for year after year after year with question marks as to why, with question marks as to if things would ever change. It's hard. And it can come to a place where if we're not careful, we can slip into, this is just my lot in life. This is just how it's going to be. Jesus comes along. 
He sees this man, he knows of his condition, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Now, this question was designed by Jesus to get the man's attention so that he could cure him. Look away from the waters, look, look who's right in front of you. The, the different translation reads, wilt thou be made whole? The, the actual meaning here of the original language was, would you like to instantly, instantaneously be healed? Be whole. Think of the invitation of Jesus in this moment. For 38 years, this man has battled. Year after year after year, day after day, pulling himself likely to the pool on his own, trying to get in the water, he would tell Jesus, and yet he could never be the first one in. He didn't have the strength to get in quick enough. He'd struggled for this. He was dependent on others because he wasn't able to do his own to make a living. And here comes Jesus saying, How would you like to instantaneously be healed? To be whole. Now, on the surface, do you want to get well? Feels like a pretty silly question, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Am I breathing today? Of course I want to get well. I've been dealing with this for almost four decades. Of course someone would want to get well after serving for, or suffering for 38 years, but that's just it. As I said a moment ago, after suffering for 38 years and it becoming the normal life, there remained little room for faith to believe that things could change. An instant change? After 38 years, the gloom and despair had set in, blocking any belief that things could shift. Rather than knowing who Jesus was, or at least learning of Jesus' reputation and expressing faith in Him to do a miracle, the man could only find the ability to reason why he couldn't get well. Now you may look at him and say, are you nuts? Jesus is right in front of you. You should just say, yes, I want to be whole. But after 38 years of suffering, all he could do was tell the reasons why it wasn't possible. His answer either revealed the the lack of his understanding about God or his hopelessness or maybe some of both. He says to Jesus, I have no one to help me in the pool. Someone else always goes down ahead of me. When the waters are stirred, I don't have any assistance, maybe not even any friends. It reveals this belief in in the waters being stirred. It also reveals that he had little strength to get around quickly. Again, imagine his journey just to get there every day. And it reveals that he likely had no friends to help him. This man could not get well on his own. And he seemed to have no belief in the possibility of being well at all. And yet God is so gracious and merciful that he responds to this need with little to no faith from this man. I find in life that God is more ready and willing to work in us than we are to receive His work. God's always working. God always wants to work. God wants to do the miraculous. God wants to save. God wants to deliver. God wants to set free. God wants to prove Himself faithful in so many different ways, but oftentimes God is more ready and willing to work than maybe we are prepared to receive the work. Jesus, in His grace and mercy in these moments, in verse 8, said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
This man may not have realized it, but he didn't need the stirring of the waters. The source, the greatest source of healing was right in front of him. And showing his power and authority with grace and mercy towards this man, Jesus brought immediate and complete cure. The one who created the human body caused this human body to function the way it needed to again. Verse 9, at once or immediately or suddenly the man was cured. The indication of Scripture is that it didn't take a few minutes, it didn't take a few months, it didn't take a few years, but instantly this man was cured and he picked up his mat, likely made of straw, he rolls it up and he walked. Now notice the end of verse 9, we'll come back to this in a moment. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. The point being, 38 years changed with just a few simple words from Jesus. Immediately, instantaneously, against all human reason, 38 years of disability, and this man's life was instantly changed. Can you imagine how that would feel? Can you imagine the battle of day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year and coming to this place of feeling hopeless that nothing can shift and yet with just a word from Jesus, his life was healed and radically changed. It is my prayer today that despite whatever diagnosis you may be facing, that despite the condition of what you may be dealing with in your life, And even despite the length of time that you feel you may have suffered with whatever's going on, I pray today that faith would rise in our hearts to believe in Jesus and to believe in His miraculous power, that faith would rise to say, you know, I've been struggling with this, and this has been hard, and this has been long, and I do have this temptation to doubt because for so long this has just been my normal life. But if Jesus is on the scene... Jesus can change everything and that faith would rise. It is my prayer today that you would experience the words of Jesus even in your own life to rise, to pick up your mat and walk. In fact, I felt led, why don't we pause in this moment and ask the Holy Spirit to be at work among us for faith to rise and even the gift of faith and the gift of miracles to be at work among us. Right where you're seated today, would you be willing to lift your hands with me and let's just invite him to do that? God, even now, by your supernatural power, without me or anyone else even touching another person, would your healing power even flow in this room today? Would your healing power flow to the homes and workplaces and travel spots for people who are gathered online today? I pray faith would grow in all of us to believe you for who you are, to believe that you're still the same God, to believe that you have all power. I pray in this moment, O Lord, that you would do incredible things. And throughout this service, even as I preach the remainder of this message, Lord, and throughout this time of prayer that we'll have in a few moments, Lord, I just pray healings would take place even now. Hearts would be opened. Lives would be receptive. We would invite you to work. That Lord, even if, even if it's something that has been dealt with for many years, that today 
hope and faith would rise to believe in you, not because it feels like in the natural anything's shifting, but because we believe in you, the miracle worker. Lord, today would there be things that would take place in the lives of people. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our lives. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in our circumstances, in our physical infirmities. You are welcome, God, in every relationship. You are welcome, God, in every area of our lives. May your power be at work even now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I pray, Lord, today... People with neck and back pain and knee pain would be healed to no longer feel any pain in their bodies. People, Lord, that have received a diagnosis, maybe they received it years and years ago, and they were told this is your condition or this is hereditary or this is whatever it may be. God, I just pray today that in your power and your graciousness and your mercy, would you pour out miracles in the lives of your people today. We invite you to do that. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we just say thank you to the Lord, even in this moment. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Yeah, give God some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He is able to touch each and every life. And before we get to a spot of being able to, to pray for those moments, I want to I take a moment to connect what Jesus did here to the larger context of the Gospel of John. Because there's a lot more to this moment than what meets the eye. It's not just the miracle. It's about who Jesus was and what now is taking place as a result of His power. Pick up with me in John chapter 5, verse 9. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath... And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man said, who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now remember, there are moments in the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth that he would not allow the the timing to be off. He would not allow things to rise to the surface ahead of time or ahead of schedule. There were certain things about, the scripture even says, the apostle Paul wrote, when the fullness of time had come, that's when Jesus came on the scene. That's when Jesus went to the cross. So there are moments where Jesus would geographically move or shift to avoid the timeline becoming greater in those moments. Now the Sabbath was a big deal. And in reality, the concept and understanding of Sabbath is a big deal for us even now. God instituted it for the benefit of humanity, for us to have a moment of rest, for us to have a time of focusing on God and worshiping Him, and also for us to ultimately communicate that we are trusting in God. 
that what we could do on seven days will never match what we could do on six days of work because we're trusting in God and His kingdom and His principles and His economy. So we're taking this day to rest and worship, to acknowledge who God is in our lives. The Sabbath is healthy for us. But the religious leaders had added a lot of pressure to it. They took what was intended to be beneficial for humanity, and they added requirements to it for how people were supposed to keep the Sabbath. In fact, they did this with a lot of different laws that God had prescribed. Work was defined by them by something as simple as carrying a mat. So what had taken place that day, even though Jesus made this man's life better and healed him, what had taken place that day was not focused on in that way. Only what they could focus on was that this man had supposedly violated their man-made rules. There was no regard and no gratitude for the reality that this man was well. Just a growing opposition towards Jesus. So they asked this man, the Jewish leaders did, who healed you? But he didn't know because Jesus at that time had slipped away. When you fast forward in John chapter 5, we don't have time to read the entirety of the text, but I encourage you to go read it because in the remainder of this chapter, Jesus is going to enter into a conversation with Jewish, Jewish people, Jewish leaders who desired to kill him. That's what Scripture says. And he's going to spend time pointing to his deity as the Son of God, pointing to His power as being proof of being the Son of God, and pointing to His complete unity with God, the Father, in all things. In fact, this is what's going to ruffle their feathers even more, is the fact that He's claiming to be not only the Son of God, but God in the flesh, and the ability to forgive sins, and they're going to accuse Him of being blasphemous towards God. Now, before everything went down in that conversation with Jesus and the Jewish leaders, Jesus found the man he healed, and he stressed the importance of something greater than just the miracle he'd just done in his life. John chapter 5, verse 14, Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, if you read this on the surface, you might interpret it that this man had done something in such a way in sin that caused this man's disability for 38 years. Now, it's true that our own choices can bring danger to our lives. There are consequences to how we live. For instance, if you're drunk driving and it leads to a car accident and that can lead to a permanent injury, those can be consequences of poor choices. And it's true that all sickness and disease ultimately have roots in original sin. These things weren't present in Adam and Eve in Eden before the fall of man. Sin entered and the consequences of sin thereof. So the struggle with sickness and disease and ultimately death came in as a result of humanity's rebellion against God. This wasn't the way God intended it. But Jesus corrected this poor theology a few chapters later 
acknowledging the fact that some people face suffering and hard times, and it is not a result of sin. In John chapter 9, in talking with the disciples, they asked Jesus, wait a minute, So this person is battling, this person is suffering, this person is sick. So what is it? Is it their sin or is it the sin of their parents? It was a common belief in that day that if you lived under suffering, then you were accursed or you were were somehow living in rebellion against God. But in John chapter 9, Jesus corrected that improper view that disability is a result of sin in the individual's life or in the parents' lives. What Jesus was instructing in John chapter 5 was much, much bigger. Let me summarize it in my words. It's hard to be in this suffering or being disabled for 38 years. Imagine man who's just been healed, how difficult your life was through all of those days. No help, no personal ability, no hope. And as hard as those 38 years were, consider how much worse an eternity will be for those who do not believe in me and deal with the sin issue. Jesus' healing was intended to speak to this man that Jesus wanted to do so much more in his life. In John 5, 17, Jesus would say, My Father is always at work, at His work. And God, the Father's desire, His greatest desire, His greatest passion is for the lost to be saved, that everyone would come to repentance, that everyone would be with Him for eternity. And Jesus went on to say, My Father is always at work, and I am working too. Jesus was on the scene to make the way for the Father's desires to be accomplished. Every encounter and ultimately going to the cross was about fulfilling the will of His Father for the opportunity that all might be saved. So in reality, in this passage, while we often zoom in to the miracle, the condition of this man and the miracle of this passage actually speak to a greater spiritual reality that is available for our lives. The greater illustration of this passage is like the disabled man, on our own, we were disabled and stuck in sin. The greatest issue in our lives is not in the temporary struggles. You can be disabled or limited or or feel like that you're suffering and you can still live in eternal life with God forever, whole and restored. And you can be in this life and seem healthy and seemingly whole and not actually prepared to be with God for eternity. We have no answers for the sin problem. This man had no answer for his healing. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't get in the waters he thought would bring healing to him. He had no one to help him. And in reality, in the sin issue in our lives, we can't save ourselves. No one else can save us in this world. We are truly hopeless on our own. But just like in this man's life, Jesus completed the work for our needs to be met With this man, it was Jesus' spoken word. And in our lives, it was the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. 
Jesus announced his power and his willingness to forgive sin. He proved his identity and his power through miracles. And then he went to the cross and he bore our sin and the punishment for our sin. And he became the only mediator between imperfect humanity and perfect God. And if that wasn't enough, he sealed it and confirmed it at his word through the resurrection. And if we will respond... When he comes and says to us, do you want to be made whole? When he's inviting humanity to have a different way of life. If we will respond, if we will hear the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. And we will believe we can rise. Just like this man rose from physical disability. We can rise in spiritual life. Look at verse 24 of John 5. Very truly I tell you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Our lives will truly be changed. We will cross over from death to life because Scripture teaches us that if we're not in Christ, if we don't believe in Him, then we are dead in our sins and our transgressions. But if we believe in Jesus, we die to our old life and we rise in new life in Christ. And death, physical death may be in this world, in this life, but death ultimately has no bearing on eternal life if we're in Christ. Death only becomes a gateway right on into eternity. So let me give you a couple of final thoughts. Number one, I invite you to come to Jesus and believe in Him to meet your needs. When we talk about John chapter 5, we can't not talk about the healing that took place. The miraculous power of Jesus on display. And you may be suffering and you may be struggling and you may be having a hard time today. And maybe you're like this man and you've been battling with it for a long, long time. I want to remind you today that the same Jesus who came on the scene at the the pool of Bethesda and brought an outpouring of mercy is the same Jesus who is alive and well today and has all power and can bring about the miraculous instant change in your life that you need. Believe in Him and bring your needs to him cry out to God but I say to you today don't just bring the temporary things that you're struggling in don't just believe in Jesus for just the one moment of miraculous need in your life but believe in Jesus for your greatest need the forgiveness of sin and eternal life if you're in need today I want your need to be met My prayer would be that every person who has a need in this room today, every person who's online would experience the miraculous power and provision of Jesus. I want you to experience a breakthrough and a delivering in your circumstances like you've never experienced before. But more than anything... My desire, and I believe the desire of God, is that you would believe in who Jesus is as the Son of God and that He is the rescuer from sin and its consequences. He's the bridge that we all have to walk between God and man. He's the only answer for sin. So don't just let Him change your circumstances. Let Him change your heart. Let Him change your life. Let Him change your eternal destination.
And then lastly today, if you've experienced miraculous in your life, and you've experienced this forgiveness of sin and eternal life, then I want to challenge you today that we should give thanks to Him for all He's done. You say, well, yeah, of course we should. But did you notice in this passage, there's no indication that this man ever said thank you to Jesus. There's no indication. And and this wasn't the only moment in history in Jesus' ministry when this happened. There were a lot of people who were grateful and joyful, and some even followed him as a result of what God had done in their lives. But this and others, there were people who experienced the miraculous power of God, but then walked away and didn't even say thank you. What a shame it would be. Even if you find yourself in suffering today, in this temporary life, what a shame it would be that we've received the greatest gift God could ever give us in salvation. And it doesn't bring gratefulness from our hearts. You think it's great that God can heal. You think it's great that God can change circumstances. You think it's great for God's miraculous power to be on display. And all of that is true. But in reality, even if we have suffering in this life, even if like the Apostle Paul, we face beatings or stonings, if, if we deal with robbers and thieves, if we deal with all sorts of different things, happy today to know that even if I face tribulation in this life, the greatest gift I have is knowing I'm at peace with God. To know that when I was helpless and hopeless, that God demonstrated His own love for me. That while I was yet a sinner, Before I ever called on his name and acknowledged that I was in the wrong, Jesus gave his life for me. So today I want to give thanks. Because I couldn't be where I am today without Jesus. And I couldn't face the trials of this life without Jesus. And I couldn't face the reality of death and grief and loss in this world and in this life without Jesus. And I couldn't have the assurance of eternal life with God forever without what Jesus has done. And His promise still remains. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is for everyone. This is for anyone who will believe in Jesus. You can cross over from death to life. Life in Jesus. Life to the full. Inward transformation and an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to remind you that you're God's child. To remind you that God is faithful. To remind you of His promises and the truth of His Word. And and that ongoing promise, that deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives that reminds us this is just the initial part. There's so much more to come. Eternity with God. Life is about this long in the grand scheme of things. But I have no way of describing to you today how long eternity is because in our humanity, we don't have a concept of forever. 
In humanity, nothing lasts forever. But eternity lasts forever. And so it's important that in this little bit of life, that we look to Jesus and believe in Him for the life that we need and for the promise of eternal life. And it's important that we not... Yes, we ask God to meet our needs, but we don't get so consumed with this little bit that we miss the greatest need that we've ever had is the need for salvation and eternal life because it'll last forever. I want to ask you if you're in the room today, would you stand to your feet with me? I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes simply because I don't want you to be distracted by anyone or anything else. Lord, I thank you that in your word today, we've been able to review that you have such miraculous power. And you're able and desire, Lord, to change our lives. Lord, you love to meet needs. You love, love to do great things in our hearts and lives. And you're able today to do the miraculous. I pray even now the gift of faith and the gift of miracles would continue to rise in this place and people would experience supernatural healing, supernatural touch from you. And Holy Spirit, more than anything, I pray, oh God, that people who would need to today would respond to believe in you for the greatest need, the need of salvation. I pray today you would find a grateful heart in all of us. Grateful for all that you've done. Grateful for what you're doing now. Grateful for all that is to come as we walk in this journey with you. I'm going to ask you this morning, where are you at? I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come and make yourself available on either side of the auditorium today. In just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity that you can come and you can pray with others who will agree with you. They'll talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. They'll, they'll pray with you over a need in your life that, that you may need miraculous intervention. But I want to challenge you today in the ways you respond. Number one, if you're here today and you haven't believed in Jesus as the Savior of your life, and you haven't made a decision to follow Him as the Lord of your life, the leader of your life, Today's the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to recognize we're coming up on with just a, within just a couple of weeks one of the greatest celebrations on the Christian calendar every year. And the reason it's great is not because of fancy clothes or great meals or even family time. As great as all of those things can be, the greatest reason we celebrate is because it marks the reality that God in the flesh died on the cross when He didn't deserve it. He took our place. He paid our sin debt. He became the sacrifice that we might have right relationship with God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe, there it is again, believe in Him, would not perish but have everlasting life. I challenge you today, if that's you, and you know in your heart of hearts you're, you're not prepared for eternity, you know that that you're, you may be in this room or you may be online today, but you're aware that, that you and Jesus aren't strongly connected. You haven't made a decision to follow Him. You haven't responded to Him as Savior. Today's the day. I 
invite you today in just a moment to come to find someone that will pray with you and help you know how to take that step to follow Jesus. He's Lord, He's King, and He's Savior. And He will be forevermore. It's a matter of if you invite Him to be the Savior and Lord of your life today. Secondly, maybe you have those needs we've talked about. Maybe you're one who has been suffering in your life for such a long time and you're weary and you're struggling And it may be even if you were honest today, it's hard for you to have hope or confidence or faith to believe that anything can change. Today, I invite you to come to the miracle worker. I invite you to come to the one who cares about you more than anyone else could ever care about your life. The one who is listening for your prayers even now. The one who can give you strength and bring about change in your life. If you have needs today, I'm going to in just a moment invite you to come to seek the Lord and people will agree with you in faith in the Lord to meet your need maybe you say well I'm saved I have a relationship with God maybe you say I'm not in a spot of of needing a a supernatural work in that sense I'm, I'm doing well maybe today it's about giving thanks because if if the first two don't meet where you're at then the last one certainly does Everyone in this room, everyone online, everyone engaged in this service can give thanks to God. Because we wouldn't be where we are today. And we wouldn't have the promise of eternal life without Him. We wouldn't have so many other of the wonderful blessings that we often even take for granted. We wouldn't have what we have today. We wouldn't be who we are today if it wasn't for God. Freedom because of God. Strength because of God. Provision because of God. Everything because of God. Life. Life because of God. So as Pastor Nick leads us in this time of response and worship, I want to challenge you today to respond in which one of those ways that you need to. If you're making a decision to follow Jesus, come and we'll pray with you and we'll talk with you about what that means. If you have a need today and you need God to come through, come into this altar and cry out to the one who loves you. He knows that situation. He's inviting you to come to Him and He wants to extend His power. Or today, lift your hands and cry out in thanks and gratitude to the Lord. I'm not going to come back and pray an official dismissal. I'm just going to invite you today to respond. To let God work in whichever of those ways He wants to today.